we're doing this series. In fact, I think this is the last one in this current series called Getting Closer to Jesus. And isn't it great? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the Jesus we read about in the Bible, he hasn't changed. Um, sometimes when I watch the TV with my kids, and we're watching Match of the Day, and it's presented by Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, and I have to explain to my sons that these were great footballers in their day. They were world-class. And they're like, man, these are old men. You can think of politicians, Churchill, people who think, wow, they had their moments where they were really remarkable. Do you know, here's the thing about Jesus. He's remarkable. He's as remarkable today as he always has been. And the Jesus who heals the sick 2,000 years ago in the Bible, the Jesus we're going to read about this morning, he is active and with us today. So isn't that an exciting thought as we come to the scriptures today? We're not just learning about history here, we're learning about a person who we can know today. So does that sound good? Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you. We do want to come to you in expectation this morning. We want to just tremble at your word to hear what you have to say to us. Please help us where we're timid. Help us, Lord, today. You know all of the situations in this room that people are struggling with things that people are delighting in and happy about. Lord, you know us inside out. And Lord, you just care for us so much. So I pray, Lord, would you come and minister your love and your grace and your power to us afresh this morning. Amen. Okay, we're going to read from Luke chapter 5. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 5. Most of the verses I speak from will come up on the screen. So here we go, Luke chapter 5. One day... As Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. It's an extraordinary story. But before we get into the extraordinary, I want to show you some ordinary things that we read about in these verses. And here's the first thing that we see, that Jesus works through everyday, ordinary situations. Say everyday. Everyday. Say ordinary. Ordinary. 
That describes your life and mine, doesn't it? Sadly, most of the time. Well, Jesus seems to like to work in this. There's two groups of people in the story. If you, if you look at it again, there's two groups. There's the people who have got time on their hands. Time enough to just chill out, sit on the beach on Galilee's lake and listen to Jesus. And they're just hanging around, just listening to the teaching. Isn't this a lovely day out? And there's another group in the story. Do you know who they are? The fishermen. They're working. They're working. Isn't it a horrible experience when you're working and other people are enjoying themselves right next to you at the same time? I want to ask you the question. Who are the people in this story that get most out of their encounter with Jesus that day? It's the workers. Some of you here are working in demanding jobs. Sometimes we have this idea about Christian life that you know, the, 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 the people that Jesus seems to really work with are the people with time on their hands. The ones who haven't got a care in the world other than just sit around and listen to Jesus. But Jesus draws close to those four fishermen in the story. They get to experience the miraculous power of God. The other people get a wonderful preach. But they draw near to Jesus in an extraordinary way. It had come at the end of a really difficult night at work. They'd worked the night shift. Some of you here work shifts. And they'd worked a long shift overnight and it had been the the biggest waste of time ever. And it's tough, isn't it, when you come back from your night shift and somebody stole your parking spot for your boat. And they're preaching to a large crowd and you think, I just want to get home and go to bed because I've got to do this again tomorrow night. Jesus comes into this very ordinary situation. Today, Jesus wants to invite you to come into his world, even though your life is busy. I dare say that some of you have much busier lives than I do. But you know, Jesus works in the everyday. Today is Sunday. Jesus works every day. Tomorrow is as important as today. The place where you work, the place where you raise family, is the place where Jesus loves to work. God wants to do that increasingly among us for our places to become places where he works. And Jesus did this miracle just for them. Here's the second thing I want you to see about the everyday ordinary, that Jesus works through everyday ordinary relationships. These four people, these four fishermen, what we do know about them, we don't know a lot, but we know this, that they were two lots of brothers. Simon's brother was Andrew. He's not named in the story, but we know that about him. And then James and John were the sons of Zebedee. They had the same dad, so therefore they were brothers. You know, God loves to work through families. In fact, I think it's an interesting thing. When Jesus calls that original group of 12, he doesn't just tour all of Galilee and Jerusalem and say, I'll have one of them and one of them and one of them and one of them. Certainly there's some individuals in the crowd, but eight out of 12 had former relationship with one another. So three lots of them were brothers. So these, these two sets of brothers here, probably also Matthew and James, James the Less, as he's known, were, were likely to be brothers. And then there was another guy called Philip who went and found his pal Nathaniel in John chapter 1, and, and he became one of that 12. That tells us something about the way God wants to work in our everyday ordinary lives, that he works through ordinary everyday relationships. 
So sometimes when we pray for people to become Christians, we imagine somehow, somewhere, that somebody is miraculously going to get an encounter with God. But generally what seems to happen in the Bible is this, that somebody knows somebody and they tell them about Jesus and they say, yeah, all right, I'm up for that. This is how God wants to work in your life and mine, to, to bring people that we love and know to him. Isn't that an exciting thought? Say amen. Amen. Great. God loves to work. Let me encourage you not to give up on your own family, your parents or your children or your siblings or your teenagers because he loves to work through families. And perhaps today there's nobody in your family who's a, who's a Christian at all. Here's the encouraging thought that he's at work in your family because he started with you. And here's another encouraging thought, that just because you're the only one doesn't mean you're without family, because you've got the family of God all around you, and he welcomes us into this great family. Here's the third thing, that Jesus works through the everyday, ordinary obedience of the one. This is where we're going to park for a few minutes today. We live in this highly connected world, where... We, we have huge social conscience these days. We care about global warming. We care about the planet. We care about uh, politics in America, even though we don't live there. We care about these things. We care about this world. And we, we sometimes hope and wish that something would change somewhere, whether it's politics or global warming, whatever those issues are, justice, poverty. And sometimes we can spend our whole lives wishing it away that something would happen that we have very little control over. Don't know if you heard the story about four people called everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. This story by contrast that we read today, is about a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus and a guy called Simon. When Jesus wants something done in the world, he doesn't just put it out there for anybody. He comes and taps somebody on the shoulder and he says, would you do this? He's got a problem on this occasion. Jesus wants to preach to a crowd. He's running out of space on the shore. So he steps on Simon's boat and he says, could you push me out? He starts with the one. When God wants something done in this world, he'll start with people like you and me if we'll listen to him. Obedience is positioning ourselves for God to work through us. And I want us to see the, the nature of what this obedience looks like in this story so that we can learn to be those people that God works through, that our everyday obedience might result in God's power flowing through us. So here's, um, how many, I've got about four points, I think, I don't know. First point, um, obedience is learnt in stages in the story. First thing that Jesus does is step onto the boat and say, push me out a bit. Verse three. What does Jesus say in verse four? Let's push out deeper. Step one is to push out a bit. Step two is to push out deeper. If you want to grow in obedience to God, 
to see God working through you, then this is usually how it works, that Jesus asks us to do this, the small stuff first, and then when we're faithful with the small stuff, he says, let's do it again, this time bigger. He takes us through obedience step by step. And here's just some questions for you today. Ask yourself, am I obeying Jesus in the small stuff? It could be today that you haven't made that choice yet to ask Jesus into your life. All of this adventure with Jesus begins with saying, Lord, come into my life, be my Lord and Savior. It could be that the small thing that you need to do is to get baptized as a Christian. That's one of the small things in the Bible. They did it on the day of conversion, usually, in the New Testament. It could be that you've been holding out on God. I know some of you are waiting to get baptized on Easter Sunday, the next time we do it. But some of you are thinking, ah, no, I'm not, I'm not okay with that. Well, this is one of the early things. If you want to unlock the next stages of the adventure with Jesus, then do the little stuff first. Chris mentioned uh, Scottish football. I was really enjoying the worship time until Chris started talking about my football team uh, earlier on. I'm a heart supporter. We're fifth in the table at the moment, Chris. Thanks for reminding me of that in that moment. I was really enjoying in God until you said that. No. Um, here's the thing. Let me talk about another Scottish football team, Kilmarnock. Any Kilmarnock fans here? No, of course there's not. Of course there's not. Any Scottish football fans here? Wow. This is a terrible illustration for you three, okay. So, <laughs> here's what, so, right, Scottish football, let me explain to you for a minute. You've got Celtic and Rangers. They're the big clubs, right, with all the money in Scottish football. Their players get paid about 10 times more than any other Scottish football club. And then when you get down to the likes of Kilmarnock and smaller clubs, they really have no budget to work with. They just have a hope and a dream. And every year, it's always Celtic, usually, who wins the league, or Rangers. So it always goes Celtic, Rangers, Aberdeen, usually, in order of the, the, prior, the, the, the spending amounts they have. Are you enjoying this? Are you learning? Okay. <laughs> anyway, so Kilmarnock, in a, in a surprise upstart this year, they were winning all their games for a lot of the season. And they were, they were hitting first, second, third position. For a lot of the season, it's changed slightly recently. It's kind of restoring back to the old ways. But they're, they're, I think they're third, fourth at the moment. But really remarkable for a club with no budget. They've got a decent manager. But this is what, when you watch it on sports scene, any sports scene watchers here? <laughs> Just, you should watch sports scene. It's on late on a Sunday night. It's a really good come down from church, I find that. Um, anyway. This is what the commentators say on sports scene. When Kilmarnock plays, and everybody says, man, people were talking about them being title challengers. And, and they were sort of laughing and saying, isn't that amazing? It's Kilmarnock. But this is what they said about them. They said, you know, they don't have any stars, but they do the simple stuff really well. And I thought, what a great phrase for us as Christians to learn. Are you good at doing the simple stuff well? following Jesus in the stuff that he tells every Christian to do. Some of us here won't have ministries in signs and wonders and raising the dead. I hope some of us will. But every one of us here can do the simple stuff well. And it could be 
that it's something like getting baptized. It could be obeying Jesus at one of his commands, say, love one another. That's not a that's not a crazy out there idea to love one another. I was chatting to somebody the other day and they were talking about their small group and they said, oh, so-and-so, you know, they've moved house and they had a couple of challenges. So I took my toolkit along and I, they weren't really very handy. So I took my toolkit and I just fixed a few things and, and made it livable for them to, to move into. What were they doing? Loving one another. That's the simple stuff of the Christian life. Let me invite you, if you're not part of a small group, to become one, to become a functioning member. We've heard about that on the stage today and those remarkable uh, uh, stories of people coming into membership. Do the simple stuff well. Love one another. Perhaps it's giving. Do the simple stuff well. Do you give? Do you, do you, are you generous with your stuff? Do you give to church? I remember when I was a student, I didn't have uh, anywhere near as much money as I uh, do now and, and but I remember I thought, I'm, I'm going to give 10% of what, I, uh, of what I get as a student. I'm going to give that to, to church. And I did it, and it wasn't a lot. But then it made it a lot easier when I got my first bumper pay packet. I got paid no, £11,000 a year for my first full-time job. And I remember getting that, I thought, wow, more money than I've ever, ever had. But then it was easy to say, well, 11,000 divided by 10 is 1,100. That's the bit that belongs to God. We teach this stuff to our kids as well. We, uh, we give them pocket money. So Ben, who's eight, he gets 80p a week. And uh, we teach him that the first 8p belongs to God. So he says to us, he says, well, I get 72p pocket money then. I said, no, no, you get 80. It's just you give 8p to God. And he says, that means 72. <laughs> We're trying to teach him. He's a little reluctant, but I think he, he'll get there one day. So, obedience is learnt in stages. Here's uh, the second characteristic of obedience. It, see, stage two is going to be harder than stage one, by the way. So, stage one is easy. Just push me out in a boat and let me preach. There was some cost in that, but not as much. Step two was, was going to be a, a big call on Simon. So... Uh, Here's the second thing about obedience. Obedience will challenge my mind. Obedience to Jesus will challenge my mind. If you could, uh, uh, yeah, here we are. So verse five, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. What's going on in that first sentence? He's thinking, really? (laughs) Really? Jesus, you're a carpenter and a preacher. And now you're coming to an expert in fishing. After he's finished his shift and proven beyond a doubt there are no fish in this lake, you're now telling me, let's go fishing. Does anybody think that might have felt challenging for Simon in that moment? I think it might have done. It challenged his mind. But... Do you know, it's often that way with the things of God. It says in 1 Corinthians 1 that the, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. If, you, if you're outside of the Christian faith and people start saying, you know what, what you really need to believe is that Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago for your sin and his blood was shed for you and he rose again. People are like, really? Really? But that's the message. There's an element that appears foolish about it. It challenges the mind. Things like gifts of the Spirit are challenging. Um, uh, 
The Bible has a gift called speaking in tongues, other languages. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14, he says, when I pray in a tongue, he says, my mind is unfruitful. What does that mean? That means that when Paul is praying in tongues, his mind is doing overtime thinking, what on earth are you doing? Because his tongue is moving and he's speaking this other language, but his mind is saying, stop, please stop. Anybody ever feel that when they're moving in the gifts of the Spirit, that your mind is saying, what are you doing? Anybody find, uh, like uh, Viv was sharing on the stage about Adrian, that, that when they come to pray for the sick, there's a voice inside them that says, no, don't do it, because if it doesn't happen, you'll have to process why it doesn't happen. See, these things are challenges to the mind. But here's the third point about obedience, which is why we need to overcome that. That obedience is necessary because if I... Uh, but obedience is necessary because Christ's lordship is at stake in my life when I choose not to obey. And Peter makes this remarkable um, statement. He, he says, I've been out all night, Lord, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Say, because you say so. Because you say so, I'll let down the nets. That's his response. Here's the response of the Christian who wants to make Jesus Lord in their life in an ongoing way. They say, because you say so, Lord. Because you say so. It's not about what I think. It's about what he says. Peter came to this realization that Jesus was either Lord of all, or he was not Lord at all. Now, Jesus' lordship is never in doubt. He's going to be sovereign over all the universe forever. He's going to reconcile all things to himself one day. But here's the choice that you and I get to make. Are we going to make him Lord of our lives, day in, day out? And Simon Peter, he, he learned something very deep this day that went through his entire ministry life with Jesus in John chapter 6, many other people are deserting Jesus, saying, we don't want him to be Lord, that the teaching's too hard. And Jesus said to Peter, well, what about you? Are you going to leave as well? And without missing a beat, Simon Peter says, well, no. Where else would I go? You've got the words of eternal life. See, when we make Jesus Lord in the small stuff, when we choose to say that he has a right to say over our career and our work and our family and every other bit of our lives, it makes it easier when things get tough and we think, you know what, maybe it would just be a little easier if I backed off church and backed off my faith. We find ourselves in that position that Peter found himself where he said, well, I've, I really don't have any other plan for my life. This is the only way it works to follow you, Jesus. God doesn't want to have any, uh, no, us to have any no-go areas in our lives. I, I don't know about you, I, I was thinking about no-go areas in my life, things that I just don't like other people seeing. Um, I have to say, it's probably my car. My car, if, you've, if you know me well and you've had a lift with me, you'll, you'll always get into my car and you'll say, wow, this is a real state. There's McDonald's wrappers everywhere. There's sweet wrappers. There's just gunk stuck down the sides of the seats, which I claim is always the kids, but I think it's probably me as well. And, and, and there's something I find just slightly shameful and embarrassing about. Any time I offer somebody a lift, because I think, hey, yeah, we have a lift, and they get in, and they're like, ugh. <laughs> it feels like a no-go area. And 
sometimes if I'm picking up somebody important from the airport, Dave Holden or something, I'll have a bit of a blitz and like tidy everything up. But, but it's, it, it's an area of inconsistency in my life. Now, I wonder if you have some of those areas in your life where places where you think, well, you know, does the lordship of Jesus extend into your home and your family and your work and, and, and those things? Maybe you know what those areas are, maybe things that you need to invite him into to make him lord of all. 1 John 5.3 says this, this is love for God to keep his commands. This is what it looks like to love him, keep his commands. But then he adds this statement, he says, and his commands are not burdensome. Wow, isn't that brilliant? His commands are not burdensome. He doesn't give us a to-do list. He gives us fuel for our engine. His commands are not burdensome. And then what we find is this, uh, I don't know, this fourth thing. Obedience produces fruit. In verse 6, it says, When they had done so, when they'd listened to Jesus and gone out fishing, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled the boat so full they began to sink. When we position ourselves through obedience, we open ourselves to receive the phenomenal blessing of God. The Bible calls it grace. And the wonderful thing about grace is this. At the end of this story, Peter doesn't high-five Jesus and say, we did it. My fishing tactics finally paid off Jesus. It's not that his work produced the miracle. And there's a funny view of obedience. And you say, well, yes, my obedience was the thing that really saved the situation. No, it wasn't his obedience. You can obey and not have a blessing, but the thing that Jesus does is respond. When he positions himself in obedience, he responds with a massive, massive, massive boat-sinking miracle. And Simon Peter responds in humility. He says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. When we become aware of God's grace, when we position ourselves in humility to obey him, it doesn't make us full of ourselves. It makes us more and more aware of his grace in our lives. God wants us to see who he is. He wants us to do what he says. And when we do that, we receive unimaginable blessing. Here's the heading I gave you. Jesus works through the everyday obedience of the one. That's what God wants to do through you and I. But who else could we talk about uniquely in that way? Who had everyday obedience that God worked through with remarkable effect? And the answer is Jesus. Jesus. In fact, the Bible says in Philippians 2 that Jesus, he obeyed. He only did what he saw the Father doing. And day in, day out, he obeyed his Father's will. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he, um, he prayed, Lord, let this cup be taken away from me, but not my will, but yours be done. He went through this thing of everyday obedience. He did what the Father wanted. And in doing so, he received unimaginable blessing. What was that unimaginable blessing? Well, on the third day, he rose again from the grave, triumphant over his own life, but also for that, for every other person who had put their trust in him. And today around the world, there's over a billion people who'd say, I've trusted in Jesus, 
And now I'm going to live forever in eternity with him because of his obedience that took him to death on a cross. Because of Jesus' obedience, now the floodgates of heaven are open for us to receive the, the forgiveness of God, to receive the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because of Jesus' obedience, I can say, I'm forgiven. Because of Jesus' obedience, I can say, my purpose in life is now established, and so can you. Because of Jesus' obedience, now I can be a blessing to this world that he's put me in, and so can you.